should we all? Can everybody hear me in the back? This is such a wonderful turnout. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I love times for women to get together for the fellowship, for studying God's word together, to lift each other up, and so many great faces in one place serving the same God. It's just encouraging. Thank you for taking time out of your Friday to come be with us. We truly, truly appreciate it. And I've been thinking about, you know, squeezing into this little space together for sweet, close fellowship. Uh, so either this is a topic that really resonates with all of us. We're talking about how to do what we can without doing it all. So either it resonates with all of us or you have an old schedule and you think Brittany Kemp is speaking at this hour. So we switch places. So come back tomorrow to hear her. So today we're going to be talking about um, doing what we can without doing it all. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of James. And you've probably already heard some things about key words in the book of James. And the biggest um, significant key word in the book of James actually is the word work or work. And it appears 21 times in the book. And just to give you an idea of how significant that is, the word God appears 16 times. And the word Lord appears 14 times. But the word work appears 21 times, and there's only five chapters. So a huge emphasis on this idea of doing, acting, serving. In your, in your text, depending on what version you have, it won't always be translated as work or work. Sometimes it might be translated produce or act or effect or things like that, depending on your version. But it's definitely an emphasis in this book. And probably this section that we're most familiar with is in chapter 2, that whole paragraph about faith and works. And we read things like in verse 17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? Dead. dead. Faith without works is dead. Verse 20, faith apart from works is useless. Verse 22, faith is active with works and completed by works. And then we have in verse 24, we're justified by works and not by faith alone. And then in verse 26, we have repeated, faith apart from works is dead. So we have this emphasis on faith and works completing each other, um, works improving or um, perfecting our faith. But... As you read through the book, you see it in different places also, worded a little bit differently. Look at chapter 1, verse 22. Here we're told, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers. An effectual doer is blessed by what he does. And then look at verse 27 in chapter 1. Part of pure and undefiled religion is what we're doing. We're to visit the fatherless and the widows. And then in chapter 2, verse 10, it says that you can keep the whole law, but if you stumble in one point, what does it say about that? You're guilty of it all. And then look at chapter 4, verse 17. The one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, what do we read about that? To him it is sin. So maybe all of this emphasis has us thinking, am I really doing enough? How can I possibly do it all? What if I'm not doing enough? And I shared this story um, 
we had a class here at Lehman Avenue for evangelistic women, and I shared this story that a few years ago in a, in a Bible camp for teen girls, there was a young woman, she was probably 13, 14 years old, she started sobbing one night, and that's not unusual because it's a Bible camp for teen girls, and there's drama. But I went up to talk to her, you know, it probably has to do with uh, something that happened with a friend, it probably has something to do with a boy. I went up to talk to her and she said, there are so many lost people in this world, I can't possibly save them all. How can I save them all? She just was sobbing. And first of all, how tenderhearted is that? But I was calmed down. God doesn't expect you to try and save them all. But sometimes, maybe we feel that way. We may not act that dramatically in our response, but do you ever feel overwhelmed by the expectations, the obligations, and even those really good opportunities? Because you do want to do it all. You want to do as much as you can. You want to serve. You want to be engaged. You want to be involved. And sometimes we take on so much that we just get overwhelmed. Or sometimes we see so much of a need and we feel like one small part of this huge plan and it's easy to get overwhelmed. And then we have verses like 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the what? In the heart of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Good. So we know, we know we're here to work and serve and roll up our sleeves, but how can we do that without being so overwhelmed? We're going to look at five things together. Where's my phone? Five ways that we can do what we can without doing it all. And the first one is, remember your purpose. Remember your purpose. We're just going to step back for a minute and focus on the basics. Um, there are many things that we can lose but still get back. We can lose money, but still get it back. We can lose our health, but sometimes we can reverse things and get it back. We can lose a relationship, but work on repairing it and get it back. We can even lose our reputation, but through time and repairing that, we can get it back. But time, time itself has been described as that one commodity that you can never get back. We've been given it, we have it to use however we see fit, and then it's gone. Uh, in James chapter 4, verse 14, which, by the way, so I have this in my notes, and then I heard Dan Owen do a lesson where he says, we misuse this verse. <laughs> I'm going to use it anyway. <laughs> because I think it still applies here. Uh, you do not know what will happen tomorrow. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And the emphasis is still that our time is brief. And that word vanishes is exactly what it sounds like. This idea of seeing something and then it disappears. And that's how our life is described. And so this idea of stepping back, remembering our purpose, we have this little brief time to serve. What is our purpose? And when we remember that, it helps us kind of call out some things that can overwhelm us when it's not really part of why we're here. So how do we remember our purpose? First of all, get back to the basics. Get back to the basics. Sometimes we just need to step back a little bit and get a clear picture of how we're actually 
spending our time. Maybe just list all of those things out. And if we could do that together and fill a board, we have so many things written on that board of what are expected of us as women in our homes, on the job, in the Lord's church, and you go to work and you, um, maybe you have hobbies, maybe you carpool, maybe you homeschool, maybe you have a side hustle and when you're bringing in a little extra money, um, maybe you travel, all of these things. You worship, you go to Bible class, uh, you help people who are in need. So many things are filling up our time and our schedule. So maybe take a, a week or a month and sit down and this is what's filling up my time. This is how I'm spending my time. And then once you've done that, the second part is to remind yourself of what your priorities are. So maybe you list that out with three different statements. These three statements are my priorities in my life. Because we're Christian women, I imagine the statements will sound the same. They'll be pretty similar. They're probably something like, you know, do what I can to get my family to heaven, um, soul winning, doing good to others. That's probably something along those lines will be your three statements. So then you compare the two. A hard, honest look. Here's how I'm spending my time. Here are my, my priorities with those three statements. Are they matching up? Are there things on the way I'm spending my time that's making it harder for me to accomplish those priorities. Now I think that when you look at your time and how you're spending it, they're all good things. They're all really, really good things. What we're trying to do is remind ourselves of what are the most essential things? What are the, the most important top priority things? Um, and that's what we remind ourselves to put our focus on. You probably heard the illustration of the things that we're trying to do in life is like juggling, you know, and when you're juggling so many things, you're juggling too many things, you've got too many things up in the air, what's probably going to happen at some point? You're going to drop the ball. And it's been described that some of those things, when we drop the ball, are rubber. And so if you drop it, what's it going to do? It's going to bounce away and you can go retrieve it later. You can catch up with that later and take care of it then. But some of the things that we're trying to juggle are made of glass. And when we drop the ball, what's going to happen? They're going to break. They're going to shatter. And we can't afford that. And sometimes the tyranny of the urchins and all those things that we're trying to keep up in the air, take our focus off of those important priority glass things. And so we want to remind ourselves to get back to the basics. Remember your priority. The second way you remember your priority is to keep it in mind. And I'm wording it that way intentionally because I mean this very literally. Keep it in mind. It's interesting to me how science is now coming around with this idea that our brains are very powerful. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they're discovering that how we think affects everything. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, your thoughts are powerful. And they have shown that your thoughts lead to your feelings, which then lead to your actions. And we understand this because we could use the illustration of um, 
you in any other relationship, maybe with your husband or your friends or your boyfriend or your mom, any other relationship, let's pick a husband just for simplicity's sake. Um, you and your husband, that morning you start the day off and things are perfectly fine. He goes off to work. Uh, maybe you're doing laundry or something and a thought pops into your head. It's not a great thought about your husband. And you start thinking about it and you start ruminating about it. And the more you start thinking about it, you start feeling some things. And it might be suspicion. It might be anger. It might be frustration. You know, why, why does he always never do this or do this or whatever it might be? And so by the time you've ruminated on that and then he comes home, how do you act? You give him the cold shoulder. You make some accusations, you know, whatever it might be. He has no idea where that came from because when he left that morning, things were fine. But you had a thought which led to a feeling which then led to an action. And so science is saying the thoughts that we have are so powerful. They control our lives. And it was interesting to me that in studying for this just this week, um, this doctor, his name is Mark Hyman, MD, and this is along the lines of our physical health. He said this, did you know that if you have a loving, connected conversation with someone, it will turn on genes that shut off inflammation? That your mind is the most potent pharmacy ever, and it will either drive inflammation or it will stop inflammation simply by your thoughts. So science is saying your thoughts are powerful control your thoughts and you control your life. God's been saying that all along, has he not? Proverbs 23 verse 7, what does that say? If a man thinks in his heart, so is he. God's been saying this all along. He says in Philippians 4 verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute or good report, if there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, do what? Think on these things. Dwell on these things. Meditate on these things. Why? Because if you start thinking about it, you start feeling it, and you start acting out. You start acting true and acting honorable and acting right and acting loving and all of these things. God's been saying it all along. So we keep our purpose in mind. Maybe for you that looks like picking a theme verse for your life. Uh, example might be Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Maybe that's your theme verse. And first thing in the morning, you're going to lodge that thought into your mind. You're going to keep your priorities fresh by going over it in your mind. Those three things that you listed out, talking about them with the people around you to keep them fresh, reviewing them, and then let those thoughts bloom into those feelings of dedication and determination and commitment and passion about it, and so that it turns into the actions and the choices that we make in our lives. Last year, this really good preacher named Hiram Kemp said in a sermon, nothing becomes first place in our lives by accident. And then to remember your purpose, pray. 
Right. James also says in James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. We're talking about faith and works, and prayer works also as we're serving. So we can start and end our day by asking God, please give me clarity. Please help me know where to spend my time and energy. Please help me to serve you in the ways that you want me to. So remember your purpose. Number two, find your balance. Find your balance. Um, if you've heard of Brother Wendell Winkler, he was a, the head of the Bible department at Faulkner University when my husband and I went to school there. And he taught all the preacher boys and almost every day he would say the same thing. Be balanced. Be balanced. Whether it's in the pulpit, whether it's with your family and your work, be balanced. So I love the definition of balance. And even distribution of weight, enabling someone or something to remain upright and steady. A condition in which different elements are equal or in the correct proportions. In the correct proportions. Well, we think about the expectations of us as Christian women. We know we need to nurture our relationship with God. We know we need to take care of ourselves physically so we can be good stewards of our body and serve Him longer. We know that we need to work on our relationships. If I'm a wife, if I'm a mom, if I'm a sister, a good friend. Or a grandma. <laughs> <laughs> or a grandma. <laughs> we know we need to look for ways to reach the lost. We know we need to be encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ and all of these different things. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm focusing on one thing, it's like I forget about all the other ones. You know, I'm trying to be more hospitable and have people in my home, but then I'm not taking care of myself or I'm not practicing soul cleaning or whatever it might be. It's like I focus on one thing to the neglect of everything else. One of your handouts is kind of a daily planner kind of a thing. If you are not a list maker, if you're the type of person where having a list adds extra stress because then you're stressed about finishing off your list and or, or you don't like being told what to do, this handout is not for you. <laughs> give it away. Give it away. If you are a list maker, and I am, um, this one has, I just have to come up with something that works with my brain. It has something about um, taking care of yourself physically, taking care of yourself spiritually by talking to God and letting God talk to you. And then at the bottom, there is, those, I believe, four different sections areas that we know we're commanded to serve and what you can do you don't do all four of them all in one day but if you do something in one of those areas if you make a visit if you send a card if you have a, ask somebody if they want to have a bible study with you maybe do a little check mark on there and then at the end of a week or a month or a few months you can kind of look back through there and see you know i naturally uh, what am I trying to say? Lean, thank you, tend and lean toward this one area. Maybe it's encouragement. And I spend a lot of time encouraging, but not so much on benevolence or soul winning. Or It'll kind of help you see that and maybe have a little bit more balanced approach. So maybe this week, I'll focus more on this aspect. Just something, and I really hesitated to share this. Because I don't want to make it seem like Christianity is a checklist. 
of good deeds, and if I can check all those things off, and I can feel good about myself spiritually. That is not what it's all about. Christianity is all about putting God first and letting that just kind of umbrella overflow over everything else that we are doing in our lives. But that little handout might be something helpful. I think there's a verse on there, Ephesians 4.15, tells us that we're, we're to grow in all aspects. And so we're trying to find our balance. Number three, share the load. Share the load. So my young friend at camp who was crying had a misunderstanding of Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature because she thought she personally had to talk to every creature. She can't. I can't. You can't. But together, we can. Together as a body, we can do that. Jesus didn't need help. But even he asked for people to come on board and help him when he called the apostles. The second biggest keyword in James is the word brother. In almost every paragraph, James says, brother, my brother, brethren. There's an emphasis on relationship as we're serving. So share the load. The first way to do that is to rejoice in the body. Rejoice in what we have right here. What a huge blessing that God's given us. We're not alone in our service to him. We're a part of a body, a family, and we help each other out. And that's exactly what we see in the word. In Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, we have this illustration of the human body compared to the Lord's body. For just as each of us has one body, our human body, with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace that was given to each of us. So if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encouragement, encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Many members, one body, different gifts, all complementing each other as we work together. We find something similar in 1 Corinthians 12, 14. Even so, the body is not made up of one part but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, you would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? I love this line. But in fact, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. The body's a blessing. And we get to rejoice in that. And we get to grow together in that. Many members, one body, different talents, different gifts, all working together to make the bride of Christ function as she should. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. I want you to see something. 1 Peter 4, verses 8 through 11. And while you're turning there, we read that we're to keep loving, we're to show hospitality, and we're to serve. Keep loving, show hospitality, and serve. But along with those three commands, there's a phrase that appears three times. Do you see it? 
In 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11, a phrase that appears three times. Do you see keep loving, show hospitality, and serve? What's the phrase that appears after each one of those? One another. What does that imply? We're not the only ones doing those things. We're all doing those things. I'm doing them for one another. The one another's are doing them for one another and they're doing it for me. Because that's how God designed it and we can rejoice in that. And then look, he says that we're to keep loving, show hospitality and serve, but it's not on our strength. Whose strength is it on? You see that? By the strength of God. It's Christ's strength. And it's not to our glory and my recognition of public acknowledgement, but whose glory is it? It's to God's glory. To Him be the glory. He says that twice in this passage. We can rejoice in that. We are honored to be a part of this beautiful system that God put into place, each doing our one part. It may seem small and insignificant sometimes, but God's the one with the power that turns it into something beautiful. So the second part of sharing the load is involve other women. Rejoice in the body and then involve other women. Maybe you have an opportunity to have an open Bible study with someone and you can invite another Christian sister to join you in that study and then you both feel invested in the study. Then you both get to see the power of the gospel touching a tender heart then you both get to be praying for that study and growing in your confidence of having Bible studies with people. What about when you're making a visit? We have people in the hospital, we're visiting shut-ins and the ones who are lonely. Take somebody with you on that visit. Take a teen girl with you on that visit um, and let it bless both of you, involving other women. If you're put in charge of organizing an event, um, bring in other women that you don't usually organize events with. Maybe somebody you don't know very well. Maybe somebody you think doesn't like you very well. And ask them to join you in organizing that event. When you take a meal to someone, you can ask another woman to go have these with you on that meal, and then y'all can deliver it together. And it doubles the blessing and halves the workload because God designed it that way. We rejoice in the body. All right, number four, think smaller, think smaller. We're connected to everything, everything via the internet. We have bites coming in all the time, news bites, news feeds. We're following people on social media. I mean, we're connected to the whole world. And I think sometimes that overwhelms us and frustrates us. We hear about the news. You know what's in the news this week? I mean, aside from some of the confusion that's going on with our children and gender and all that kind of stuff. Minneapolis, this week's news, Minneapolis, the first American city that's going to over the loudspeakers loud enough for the entire city to hear do the Muslim call to prayer multiple times a day. First American city. Uh, in the news this week, reports on Nigeria, of course, being the country least friendly to people who claim to be Christians, the death count is in the tens of thousands. That's the kind of stuff we're taking in all the time. Do you feel helpless when you hear that? 
worried, frustrated, overwhelmed? What can we do? What can I do? Think smaller. Think smaller. I love the C.S. Lewis quote from way back when. It was 1948. It was the atomic bomb had been created, and people were saying, how can we live in an atomic age? And C.S. Lewis said, the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Things like praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, playing with our children, bathing the children, chatting with our friends, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. So think smaller. Let's think smaller instead of the whole world. Let's think about our town because we have community leaders. We can find out who's running for local sheriff. We can meet them. We can have coffee with them. We can get to know people in our own communities. We can think smaller than that to our neighborhood. We can get to know our neighbors. Make sure they know that you love God and that you love them. Even smaller than that in our church family. Let's form relationships outside of these walls and get into the lives of our family. And then even smaller than that, our families, our physical families, the people that God has put in our sphere of influence and our circle, we take the hands of them, the people that God has put in our path that we can impact. We take the hands of them and we serve and we find out what brings them joy. That's going to bring way more of an impact on this world than listen to the latest influencer or keeping up with trends or the news or whatever it might be. That's how we can do what we can without doing it all. And then finally, number five, delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. <clears throat> what does this have to do with our topic? <laughs> do you have time to delight in the Lord? Or are you so busy that more often than not you feel frazzled, carried, overwhelmed? If I were to ask you to think of someone, you know, maybe you can't put a definition to delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord means, or it looks like, but if I were to ask you to think of someone that you think probably delights in the Lord, just by the way their demeanor is, just by the way they act, does a name come to mind? Can you, does somebody come to mind when you think delight in the Lord? And I'm going to call somebody out in this room, and it's this woman right here. <laughs> Alicia Pennington. <clears throat> she's keeping time. Um, she's been working so hard for this event, and just a week or two ago, did the same thing for Lives to Leaders. Last year or two, whenever we had a huge tornado come through here and level this town, and she was up here day after day after day after day working, serving. And the reason I'm picking on you. It's because a lot of people were doing that. A lot of people have been very involved in this event and serving in all these ways. But Alicia, when you talk to her, and she's in the middle of it all, she smiles. She's smiling. And she makes you feel like you're doing her a favor <laughs> by letting her serve. And it's genuine. If you know her, you know this is true. And I want to serve, and I want to be that involved. And sometimes I think I'm doing that, but then I'm like, oh my goodness, now I have to. <laughs> and the, the 
tornado, you know, by day three. I was like, I'm done with this. <laughs> These are long days. And I'm pretty sure my face showed it. Hers didn't. And I think it's because she delights in the Lord. Your other handout is Psalm 37, bits of it. Portions of Psalm 37. And it was written by David. And David had all these obligations and expectations, and he was in the public eye. And like us, David had highs and lows in his Christian walk, and he had a family, and he had a faith, and he's trying to juggle all of these things. And when you go through, when you go through portions of this song, you do see things like he's going to do good. He's not perfect, but he's going to do good. Look at verse 30 and look at verse 27. Do good. But I want you, if you have something to write with, just underline a few phrases really quick. Verse 3, trust in the Lord. In my mind, that's a quiet activity. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Verse 34, skip down there, wait for the Lord. There's a lot of things that we focus on that involves busyness and doing and serving, but David took the time in quiet to rejoice, be still, wait, be with God. And I think that's how, even through all the ups and downs in his own life, on the other side of it, how is he described? A man after... God's own heart because he delighted in God he took time to be with God's heart and maybe sometimes for us when we are overwhelmed with everything or we feel like we can't get it all done maybe that's the missing piece and as you go through here maybe squiggly underline some of these other phrases and look at God's side of it verse 4 he will give and what will he give desires of your heart turn your heart over to him and quietness delight in him he wants to know your heart and give you the desires of your heart verse 5 he will act verse 23 he uh, not that one verse 24 the lord upholds his hand and don't we want that verse 34 he will exalt verse 40 he helps the lord helps what I see when I look at this psalm and David taking time in quietness to rejoice in the Lord, I see intimacy and a relationship with God. And that's what enabled him to do what he needed to do. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says, I, de I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. And just jot down these verses real quick if you want. Deuteronomy 30 verse 9. Jeremiah 9, verse 24. Micah 7, verse 18. Zephaniah 3, verse 17. All these verses say the same thing. They say that the Lord delights in us. The Lord delights in us. God only expects us to do what we can. He doesn't expect us to do it all. And Paul says the same thing that Peter did. We're not doing it on our own strength. We're doing it on his strength. Philippians 4, 13. 
And we're not doing it for our glory. We're doing it for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Faith and works go hand in hand. Ecclesiastes 9, 10 does say, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your mind. But we've only been given two hands. And I ran across a quote that said it was by Peace Pilgrim. Have you ever heard of Peace Pilgrim? I hadn't. And I looked it up, and it was really fascinating. It's a woman. She was born Mildred Lizette Norman in 1908, and she was living the flapper age to the fullest. And then she decided to hit the Appalachian Trail. And it's a 2,050-mile trail that she hiked. And she was the first woman to do it in one season. Well, something about going on this trail I guess it gave her a lot of time to think, and she decided to turn her life around. And during the Rose Bowl Parade in California in January, on January 1st, 1953, she walked out there in front of everybody. She was wearing a blue tunic with her new identity, Peace Pilgrim. So she no longer went by the name she was given. She's got a brand new name, and then she spent the next 28 years walking all over North America and just sending the message of if you want to have true peace you're only going to find it in Christ if you want true peace you're only going to get it through God your Father 28 years peace pilgrim so if you ever, there's a lot of quotes by her apparently she had some sort of untimely death and they've compiled books of all the things that she had said so if you run across a quote by peace pilgrim now you know I couldn't help but think back to Saul, who had a name change and a new identity and a different message. I couldn't help but think about us when we put on Christ. We wear the name Christ. We have a new name and a new message. But here's a quote that she said that I want to close with now, now that you know her story. 28 years walking all over North America. What I walk on is not the energy of youth. It's a better energy. I walk on the endless energy of inner peace that never runs out. When you become a channel through which God works, there are no more limitations because God does the work through you. You're the instrument and God can do, what God can do is unlimited. When you are working for God, you do not find yourself striving and straining. When you are working for God, you find yourself calm, Serene, unhurried. Will you pray with me? Our God in heaven, we are grateful and we desire to be instruments in your hand. And Father, this room is full of women who have hearts ready to serve, who have families to love, neighbors to share the gospel with. Father, we pray that we'll keep that passion and that zeal and that desire to be your instruments. Father, help us to see the most valuable, impactful ways to spend our time. Father, we're grateful for our church family, that we can build each other up, hold each other up, serve together, holding hands, make a difference in our communities, in our homes. Father, we're grateful most of all for your son, because all of this is possible through him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.